One part that I had to lead was I had to share my testimony. That's just a way of saying sharing your story of faith, how you came to know Jesus. And uh, part of what I shared was this. I shared that I was raised in a Christian home, and I had godly parents um, who wanted me to know Jesus. And I attended church every week. I went to youth group. I went to Christian summer camp. I read the Bible. But even though I would have called myself a Christian, as a teenager, I didn't love God. As a teenager, I didn't love God. Yes, superficially, I checked all the right boxes, but inside, I was a mess. I was a mess, and I didn't love God. And how do I know that I didn't love him? Why would I say that? Well, it's because I didn't obey him. didn't obey him. I stole, I lied, I was greedy, I was lazy, I had sex outside of marriage, and I consistently put my own ways above his ways, justifying all of these things to myself, convincing myself that it was okay because at least I wasn't as bad as the next person, right? I wasn't in jail or anything like that. But as we see in our readings today, to love God, put most simply, is to obey God, to obey his commandments. This is what God calls us to, a life of loving obedience, loving him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Or put simply, love God, love others. Love God, love others. So I want us to turn to our gospel reading for today and to see what this means, how this plays out for us in the world we live in today. And the context of our reading today is that it is the night before Jesus' death. It's Monday Thursday, as we call it. And Jesus is teaching his 12 disciples one last teaching before he will be betrayed by one of them and then killed. And what we hear him say first is that love is about obedience. Love is about obedience. We reveal our love for God by obeying him. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Or as we heard in our epistle reading, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. You know, when we love someone, we're always more willing to do what pleases them. Think of that first blush of any courtship that you've ever been in, okay? If you've been in a courtship with someone, that first blush of romance and so on, just how you are willing to go to the ends of the earth for that person. Both parties are willing to do almost anything for one another. But that love, strengthened by a marriage commitment, plus years of experiences together and hard work, only gets stronger. Or think of the parent who stays up all night with their sick child at great personal cost to themselves. Because they love their child, they're willing to do that. Or think of the adult child tending for their elderly parent as Alzheimer's or some other debilitating disease sets in. Because of their love for their parent, they're willing to do that. Because of the bond of love established between these parties, there is a commitment to love them through thick and thin, or as we say, till death us do part and at great personal cost. And this is a, the exact kind of love that Jesus is speaking of here. The Greek word used here for love is agape. The Greeks had a few different words for love, but this one is agape. And when the word agape is used in the Bible, it refers to a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good above our own. It's not a love based upon 
how we are feeling. Say agape with me. Agape. It's that kind of love. And so as A.W. Tozer puts it, proof of love for Christ is simply removed altogether from the realm of the feelings and placed in the realm of practical obedience. Proof of love for Christ is simply removed altogether from the realm of the feelings and placed in the realm of practical obedience. This is agape love. It's choosing to love someone even when you don't feel like doing it. Or as the Apostle John writes in our epistle reading today, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What does he ask us to do? Well, because we're forgetful, the writers of our liturgy made sure to include a summary of it in our liturgy every single week. You will remember this from the beginning of our service, hopefully, all of 10 minutes ago. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well done. That's the beauty of liturgy. I know sometimes we think it's so tedious we say the same words over and over again, but it's actually helpful because then we start to remember the words that are so important. And that's taken directly from the Gospel of Matthew 22. Jesus said those words. We are to love God with all that we are. To love him with all that we are. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, which is to mean to put God and all other people before ourselves in sacrificial, unconditional, loving service. This is the obedience that God is looking for. But why should we love in this way? This is, if you stop and think about it, an incredibly big thing to ask of anyone, right? It's a big thing to ask of us. Well, the second thing we see in our gospel passage is that obedience is about love. Obedience is about love. We obey God because he first loved us. Not begrudgingly, but joyfully. We obey him joyfully. I wonder, is it love if I say, if I have to, I will? Mm -hmm. Or if I must, I will? Or, I'll do this, but you have to give me X in return. Is that love? Or, as the unfortunately named singer Meatloaf sang, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Now, as Johann Albrecht Bengel put it, love goes before keeping of the commands. In other words, we obey because we love. We obey because we love. In the same way that we want to serve our friend or our spouse because of our love for them, so our love for Christ should motivate us to serve him and to obey his commands. You see, a fear-based obedience is actually unbiblical. It's unbiblical according to 1 John chapter 4. Please note, though, that when I say fear-based obedience, I'm not referring to the fear of the Lord, which is a healthy reverence and respect for him, who, being, while being our loving father, is also king and judge. That's a, a healthy thing to have. I'm referring to the kind of fear a person has when they think of an abusive parent or guardian, and they, they remember those things. When our obedience is based on this kind of fear, it brings about shame, it brings about condemnation, and a constant striving to prove ourselves to God 
and to earn his love, something that we can never do. But when our obedience is based on true love, it brings confidence. It brings acceptance and the understanding that God, our Father, the one who has adopted us into his family, not leaving us as orphans, he delights in us. Say after me, God delights in me. God delights in me. If you struggle to spit those words out, then you have a wrong picture of who God is. He delights in you, friends, and especially when you obey his commands. He delights in you. He loves that. He rejoices every time that we say yes to him and to his way. He delights in you. And now why would we love him in such a way, though? Well, I wonder, if you're asking that question today, let me gently suggest that you probably don't know him yet. If you're asking, why would I love him in that way? You probably don't know him as the good shepherd that we spoke of last week. Friends, we love him because while we're still sinners, in fact, while we are enemies of his, catch that, not just sinners, but we are enemies in opposition to him, completely undeserving of his love, he was willing to lay aside his majesty in heaven and to humbly enter into this world that he might live the perfect life that we cannot live and agape us by being willing to die upon the cross, paying the price for our sin that we couldn't pay, that if we would turn our hearts back to him, if we would repent and put our trust in him, we could be set free from sin and death and striving and receive the gift of eternal life. Right here, right now, beginning today, not one day when we die, but right now. And we can walk with him the rest of our days, living with peace, living with hope, living with love, real love, living with freedom, freedom from the guilt of our past mistakes and the burden of other people's expectations or the the expectations that we put upon ourselves, living with purpose, living with meaning, all things the world tries to offer but fails because every way they offer it is fallible. This is why we love him. And this love Obey him, loving him, loving one another, even when the people around us don't deserve it. Because we know he died for us even when we didn't deserve it. We love them still, even when they've let us down, even when they hurt us, even when they don't love us in return. It is a love motivated by a far greater love than we could ever give. It's the love that created the world the love that made covenants with his people, and it is ultimately the love of the cross of Christ. Friends, the highest motive for obeying Christ is to obey because we love him. As C.H. Spurgeon once said, obedience must have love for its mother, nurse, and food. The essence of obedience lies in the hearty love which prompts the deed rather than the deed itself. Essence of obedience lies in the hearty love which prompts the deed rather than in the deed itself. Love because he first loved us, proving his love for us through his death on the cross. But there's one more thing from this passage, and it is this. We cannot do this on our own. You're probably sitting there thinking, Jonathan, I cannot love in that way. I just cannot do it. Let me take the pressure off you right now and say, you are right. 
You cannot, and neither can I. But the good news is, as Jesus reveals in this passage, is that he has sent his Holy Spirit to live within us and to assist us. Verses 16 and 17. Did you catch that? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Greek word used here to describe the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, is parakletos. We get our legal term, paraclete, from that. And it can be translated as helper, as it is in the version we have, or it can be translated as comforter or strengthener. But it literally means one who comes alongside. One who comes alongside. And what does this mean? Well, an illustration that might help is that as a father, I've always tried to help my children learn to ride a bike without suffering too many scrapes and bruises. In fact, the only broken bones we've had so far, touch wood, if I'm allowed to do that, is, is when Hannah came off her scooter one time. So, so far, so good. First, there would be training wheels, right? You'd have the training wheels on the bike, and then you would take off the training wheels, and there would be a steadying hand as you gently push them along, and then you start to run with them. Some of you, I can see, have done this. One hand under the seat. And I would give instructions. Now relax. Keep your wheel straight. Steady. I've got you. You're doing great. Crash, right? Because <laughs> eventually there's going to be a crash. And then you pick up the child, and you encourage them to try it again, over and over again, until they get it. Well, in a similar way, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, and he encourages us. And he holds us up and he picks us up and he dusts us off when we fall and gets us going again. As one commentator puts it, every encounter with each of the more than 1,600 New Testament commands is an opportunity to jettison self-reliance and to yield to the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural commands from the supernatural God can only be carried out by reliance on his supernatural power. The Spirit is called the helper, but don't let his name mislead you. To say that we need his help is to imply we have some ability of our own to obey and are in need of just a little spiritual push, so to speak. It's better to say that we need him to enable us to obey divine commands. For the word enable indicates that without his power, we cannot obey. To say it in another way, Followers of Jesus are 100% dependent on his spirit, while at the same time are 100% responsible to obey. Friends, this is one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith, and yet it is so true. We are 100% dependent on the spirit to obey God, and yet we're also 100% responsible to obey him as well. But the good news, though, is that even though we tend to leak the Holy Spirit and will struggle always to obey God, his grace is sufficient for us. There is forgiveness and there is mercy for all those who repent and return to him over and over again. So as we come to a close, I just want to ask a very simple question with a, a profound consequences. Do you love God? Do you love God? Take a look at your life going to be revealed through your actions and your willingness or unwillingness to submit to his ways rather than your own. 
you find out that your actions reveal you, that you don't, don't despair. Just act quickly. Come to the cross and kneel at the foot of the one who laid down his life for you. Recognize your unworthiness to receive his love and receive the free gift of grace and mercy, setting you free from your sin, and then love him in return. And be ready to be surprised by what loving God through obedience and loving one another looks like. It may not be that he cares too much about your religious credentials. It may not be he cares too much about your religious credentials, whatever you think those are, whether it's weekly church attendance and life group attendance, daily Bible reading and prayers, reading the right Christian books or Bible studies, voting for the right political candidates, regular tithing, having that God is my co-pilot bumper sticker on your car, whatever you think those credentials are, all good things, things I would encourage except maybe the bumper sticker, but not essential to loving God and loving each other. Now, he cares more about your motivations for doing these things And he cares more that you worship him all day long through your words and your actions. And he cares more that you invite others into your homes and into your lives to experience the costly love of God through you. Be they neighbors, be they work colleagues, be they fellow church members, even people you don't know or foster children or orphans, or that he cares that you love the least of these well, be they widows, single moms or the poor, the sick, the hungry, the handicapped, the abused, the lonely. I say this not to burden you with guilt or that you might become good people, but that you might experience the true love of God in all its fullness as you obediently love him. Because that's what happens when we agape others. We get so much more in return. We have a fear that as we give out, we're going to end up burned out and exhausted. But in the power of the spirit, as we agape others, we experience so much more than we ever give away. I say this that you might truly live. As someone wisely once said, Jesus came not to make bad people good, but to make the dead alive. Jesus came not to make bad people good, but make the dead alive. In our suburban utopia, we can sometimes become convinced that the world, what the world has to offer itself is well, we think that it actually we become convinced that what the world has to offer is life itself, when actually it's a pale imitation. Friends, I praise God that at age 19, he revealed to me my blindness and that through a time of great personal suffering, he brought me to my knees in humble submission to him and his ways, finally ready to love and to obey him because of the great mercy I experienced as he rescued me on the cross, and in that moment. And today, may you experience the same. And would you choose to love him by obeying him completely with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come move in this room. Come move in the hearts of each person here, whether they've ever received you in their hearts um, before, or whether they haven't ever received you, Lord, would you come and would you move in us and fill us to overflowing that we might experience the power of the resurrected Jesus living in us, that we might do all that you've called us to do, knowing that even though we can't do it on our own strength, 
you can do whatever you call us to. Help lead us and guide us, Lord Jesus, this week, following you and seeking to do whatever you call us to do, however odd or strange it may seem to us. Would you give us your spirit and enable us to do it? We pray all this in Jesus' name.